This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Welcome to the National Press Club's Update One podcast. I'm Gemma Puglisi with the club's broadcast committee. And today the topic is the media, specifically newspapers and the ever-changing landscape of print journalism. With us today is David Chevron, the president and CEO of News Media Alliance, the news industry's largest trade organization. Before it was the NMA, the organization was the Newspaper Association of America. It represents 2,000 or so news publishers around the United States. This includes everything from the largest national outlets to the smallest community publishers. Says Chavrin, we really are the voice of the news industry. David Chavrin joined the Alliance in October 2015. He has been called an activist for the news industry and has built a career spanning 30 years in executive strategic and operational roles, most recently completing a decade-long tenure at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. There he held many roles, including executive vice president and COO. He is a 1987 graduate of Villanova's University School of Law and received his MBA from Georgetown University. He holds a BA from the University of Pittsburgh, where he sits on the board of trustees. Welcome, David. Oh, great. Thank you very much for having me. It's thrilled to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. And obviously, before we chat about the industry, I first want you to share with me why the association started the mission of the News Media Alliance. Many people would remember the Newspaper Association of America, whose history goes back um, 120 years uh, or so. Um, I came into the role again uh, about five, a little over five years ago. Uh, and um, we really, the, the goal was to reorient the, the association to talk about the future uh, of mm-hmm. the news business, particularly local news, uh, and to uh, both embrace all the positives about the industry, and there are a lot, which I can talk about, uh, but also really help it find uh, a stable financial tra- trajectory going in, into the future. Um, so you know, that involved a lot of different rethinking, rethinking about our programs, what we, uh, we're, what we care about, what we fight, fight about, but also things like our name and brand and, 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 uh, uh, and focus. And we really are about uh, the digital future of, of the news business um, and particularly what that means locally and how we're going to sustain that locally. Terrific. Thank you. I know that you mentioned, and I I, want to go back, of course, and and you touched on this right now. So, of course, we know that many years ago, of course, when the Internet kind of exploded, many papers were beginning to struggle, right? We saw a lot of that happening, especially in the uh, 2000s and beyond, and we saw a lot of dailies and weeklies and many community papers um, having a very difficult time in closing. And so you have said, and you've mentioned it, that you are now focusing on the digital future of local news. And particularly, you want to talk about in 2020, which was really a big year for uh, journalism, especially, uh, if you will, digital media. Um, You said uh, where in 2020, the industry had absolutely record historically high readership. 
and also the worst economics in a generation. So 2020, of course, bought the pandemic, right? And it was also an election year. Share how we saw how local news and the industry really had record uh, a record year, if you will. Two things, uh, I mean, there are a lot of things about how the internet has impacted the news media, but two key things to, to keep in mind is uh, the advertising dollars uh, moved from uh, essentially uh, uh, reach strategies, reach the most number of people possible, to mm-hmm. targeting strategies, moving, mm-hmm. getting to using data to target people. And that favors uh, the companies with the most data. So Google, Facebook, and the rest. So a, lo- a lot of advertising dollars moved to these uh, to these new platforms. But also you had this, what I call nationalization of news attention, meaning uh, somebody in Anchorage wanted to talk to somebody in Atlanta about what was happening. And that tended to make uh, the national focus be common. So, um, uh, you know, the national became much more prominent than, say, in our parents' generation and their news consumption. Interestingly, in 2020, what you saw was the telescope on that really spinning around 180. All of a sudden, what was happening in your community, uh, where there were COVID cases, where was there testing, where do I get vaccines, what are the shelter in place orders, what's happening in racial justice in my community. Exactly, yeah. All were intensely important. You know, all of a sudden people cared about what their mayor had to say about shelter in place, where a lot of people had no idea who their mayor was, right? So we had already had record readership, but it really spiked up in 2020 and it accentuated this dichotomy we have, which is the industry as a whole does not have a demand problem. We have more readers than ever by a multiple. Uh, what we have is a monetization and distribution problem, uh, because in particular, because a couple of companies control our distribution, but we can talk that about that in more detail. But, yes. you know, 2020 was a case study about how local news is critical to sustain communities and, and the public responded to that. That's great. You know, it's interesting that you're talking about the nationalization, um, of, if you will, of news, because I just saw an interview with Anderson Cooper and former President Obama, and he, he touched on that exactly, of how we saw more of a nationalization of a media, and it took away from the local communities um, who, uh, you know, the media and, and the news organizations always had like the local paper where people could you know, uh, look at what's happening in their community and how important that was. Um, and he touched on that. And I'm, I'm so glad you touched on the fact is that what, you know, to, uh, the pandemic brought so much. It brought such, you know, tragedy and hardship. But at the same time, it united communities. Uh, and it did bring back, right, the, uh, you know, what what are the COVID cases in my community? Where do I go? Where do I go to get my um, my vaccine? So, yeah, we did see a shift, right? I, I do. Oh, uh, right? absolutely. And, you know, there are, again, I could talk about sort of nationalization of news attention for a while. One, right. of the, one of the challenges is also, by the way, national, particularly national political stories, tend to frame everything in highly partisan ways. Right, right. Uh, when a lot of what's happening in communities, local stuff, really isn't particularly partisan at all. And it's really a place where we should be able to go to break out of these partisan frames. But I'm happy to talk about that as long as you'd like to. No, but you're absolutely right. That's a a very valid point. So 
So I do want to talk about, since we're on the topic of Google and Facebook, right? Uh, you have also often said, you know, you, you um, your organization, is that your effort is to get a better deal for news content online, notably by arguing for the ability of news publishers to collectively negotiate with Google and Facebook. And then we, we can talk about the tech antitrust. And I, I do want to bring that in, okay, because with digital comes challenges, right? And, and you have... And, and the org association um, is very vocal about this. Uh, I'm sure you read and saw that just this month in the Wall Street Journal, Sam Schechner wrote a piece uh, and it said, and it is um, Alphabet Inc's Google agreed to pay French regulators a fine of nearly $270 million, settling one of the first antitrust cases globally that alleged the tech company abused its leading role in the digital advertising sector. So let's talk a little bit about that. Again, if you look back at the traditional print model, the industry had the most direct relationship you could have with a customer. You know, we right, manufactured right. a physical product and walked it up your driveway and handed it to you while you're in your bathroom, right? Right, and right. There's actually relatively few industries that do that, right? That you're, yeah. if you buy tires, they're not rolling them up your driveway. Um, so, and, and but in the digital space, while the readership is is off the charts, uh, they there are now uh, particularly two companies that stand between us and our readers and really control everything about where our news gets distributed and how and, and whether it's seen. So our distribution has been disrupted, mm -hmm. uh, and there are analogies historically. A hundred years ago, recording devices disrupted the, the sheet music business oh, sure. and, and music licensing was developed in response to that. And in the 1990s, you had cable companies take over the distribution of local broadcast and you had the whole retransmission system developed from that. What we're saying is uh, we, there are uh, a couple of companies that control uh, our, uh, the distribution of our product and uh, we need, and they're dominant. Uh, and massive, and we as news publishers need to be allowed to uh, fight for ourselves. And it is a strange quirk of the antitrust laws that they antitrust laws protect Google and Facebook from us. You know, mm -hmm. we're not allowed to collectively negotiate with them. So we have been supporting a bill uh, uh, in Congress, and I'm happy to talk about the details of it. Sure, that ahead. would that would allow news publishers to collectively negotiate. Uh, and provide essentially a structured negotiation system, which has now similarly been developed in Australia and, and France and other places. Yeah. So we're we're hopeful to uh, move that legislation this year, and um, uh, we're uh, you know we think that is how we get at fixing the marketplace and the system. Uh, rather than just short-term fixes. But this is good news, right? When you read the story um, that came out of the Wall Street Journal that uh, French regulators were able for the first time, right, to uh, um, to win this first global case. So that is uh, that is good news. I'm sort of tagged as an opponent, and I am an opponent a lot of times. Uh, you know, I kind of just look at them factually. I, you know, they provide a lot of good value to people, but they're also provide a huge amount of uh, antitrust problems and right, market exactly. dominance issues. 
you know, particularly in digital advertising, by the way. So right, right. Uh, you, you, there's a lot of antitrust cases that have been filed in the U.S. There have been filed a lot of places. Certainly, there's a ton of activity of examination and suits in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to have a different future for these companies in terms of their role in the marketplace. And that is an absolute good thing. Right, uh, right. But in that, we also need to make sure that news publishers are allowed to assert their value against dominant players in the marketplace. Right, right. I now want to talk about traditional newspapers, right? Uh, we, we talked about how everything's gone digital and, and the major traditional papers, the top newspapers are still, you know, are still doing well or people are still interested and, you know, companies still want to be seen, let's, you know, in the New York Times or the Washington Post, right, or the Wall Street Journal. They still do have an impact, do they not? Oh, hugely. I mean, and by the way, the, you know, the, in terms of the national, uh, you know, news publishers, um, you know, they're actually been uh, doing, uh, doing well. A lot of that, by the way, is driving digital subscriptions and being able to uh, get subscribers for their products outside their geographies, right? right New York right. Times, uh, New York Times has a huge number of subscribers in California, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, and they they also benefit uh, from this nationalization uh, of attention. Right, now, right. that being said, even the biggest of them and the most successful of them. Um, are uh, nothing compared to the market dominant power of Google and Facebook, right? right so people right. get into this framework of somehow um, uh, equivocating uh, bigger players in media with big tech, and it's not even right. Right. I mean, the entire news industry, by the way, including broadcast, is rounding error compared to Google and Facebook. Um, so. Yes, those you've had uh, some titles uh, that have been doing uh, relatively better, uh, but then the the challenge we have locally is uh, you know the, uh, those places tend to be subscribed geographically, mm -hmm. but also providing key value to sustained communities. And, and how do we how do we get them to uh, to a better, more sustainable place? And I tell you one right. one thing. Uh, that indicates how the market is broken rather than just uh, blame the publisher is there really haven't been uh, successful, sustainable new entrants into the local news marketplace. You've had a, a lot of digital only sites pop up, some of them quite interesting and innovative, uh, but most of them are sustained through various means of you know, philanthropic right, other right. grants. Right. Uh, none of them have, they really haven't built a sustainable continuing economic engine that drives their independence. So that tells you that the market for the content is broken and that's what we have to address. You know, um, thank you for sharing that. It has been though a solid year for newspapers and uh, I just want to share some things. For example, uh, Several uh, great stories won Pulitzers, uh, Dominic Gates, Steve Militich, Mike Baker, and Lewis Cobb of the Seattle Times broke the story of the Boeing 737 design flaws that led to two deadly crashes and revealed the failures in the government oversight. And then of course the staff of the New York Times 
for their uh, enthralling stories exposing uh, Vladimir Putin's regime. So we're always seeing these great investigative stories, right, David, from the, the I mean, I, I, you know, grew up um, outside of Washington, D.C., um, and my dad was a barber, Italian immigrant, and every day he would come home with the Wall Street, uh, excuse me, with the Washington Post under his arm, uh, as well as the evening news, which, by the way, the building still exists in D.C. And, um, you know, I grew up right around the time of Watergate. And I, you know, I was reading about, you know, I was like, Dad, I don't understand this. This paper is saying that the the president is a crook uh, or the president is doing things that are illegal. And, I, I you know, and I watched uh, network news that night and they had nothing on about Nixon or anything about what was happening that I had read. And then I understood what it all meant. Right. So the impact that newspapers have had. Uh, on all fronts, investigative journalism is is so um, vital. The journalism that's being done is amazing and astounding. There's so many great examples. I think at some levels, it's almost a golden age for, for journalism. And also, uh, digital distribution mm-hmm. allows you to reach more, more readers, people, more right? audience mm-hmm. than you could ever have imagined. You know, um, right, right. I don't. You know, if you're looking at something like the Washington Post or New York Times, I don't know what their peak print circulation is, uh, was. Um, but, uh, you know, they they routinely have something like 100 million unique visitors a month to their websites, wow. right? So wow. they're, so they're uh, whatever their peak print, it wasn't anywhere close to that. So right, exactly. That's, right. True, that's true of also a lot of uh, local publishers where their overall audience is multiples of whatever mm-hmm. was dreamed of in the peak print day. The question is, uh, how do you get economic return to, sus- to sustain that? To sustain that, that exactly. To stay yeah. in business, to stay in business, Absolutely. right? It's like yep. a catch-22. Yep. What does the association uh, see ahead? What What do you think in terms of journalism and what you do, David? What are what are you seeing, and if you can, in your crystal ball ahead of not only what the Alliance plans to do, but where where you think, um, you know, the digital age with, with, with excuse me, of uh, print journalism or digital journalism, where, where do you think it's headed in the next few years, in your opinion? Going back to something I just talked about, let's start with the good news, which is uh, we don't have a demand side problem, right? We mm-hmm. have uh, people want and need our journalism more than ever. So you, you, have, a, you have a public out there that wants uh, great uh, journalism. And, uh, you know, in times past, people have made all these horrible analogies to like buggy whip industries and the rest. Right, you know, those right. are industries for which, you know, uh, f- photographic film, those are industries for which the demand died off. Right. You know, the demand for our product is higher than ever. So that's something you can build around. Right. The future is a, uh, a digital future for the product. I, you know, I love the print product uh myself i think there's a lot of attribute i think it's a really great product but right, right. um at some level it's not where people are it's not how they like to consume right, and, right. and that's uh, that's fine so we we have a great audience we have the potential for high distribution uh the problem we have is we have a marketplace in which most of the value 
goes to uh, uh, other people, notably the digital intermediaries, and right, is right. drained away from the publishers. And more of that value has to go back to the publishers. But I, you know, I'm quite optimistic because I think you, as long as people want what you're making, you can build around that eventually. Right, right. The um, news was our lifeline. I mean, people could not go anywhere during the pandemic, and they were following the pandemic and the election and reading everywhere they could what was happening and the value of it. Um, so thank you, David. I really appreciate it. It's been so good to talk to you. Again, David Shavern, the president and CEO of the News Media Alliance. And I want to thank you and your colleagues for the work that you all do each day, David. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. You I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And my thanks to my colleagues, Mike Hempen and Mark Hambrick with the broadcast committee here at the National Press Club. For the Update One podcast, I'm Gemma Puglisi. Thank you for listening. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.